All right. Well, uh, as a number of you know, Isaac is in Illinois this week with his family. They'll be coming back shortly, so enjoying some more of his much well-earned vacation. So it's my pleasure and responsibility and privilege to bring the word. So let's open in prayer together. Father, we love you. We love your word. We know that there is no other place we can go where there is life. Father, we also know, though, that the life in you puts to death the death in us. And sometimes this is difficult, Lord. We feel the, the resurrecting power uh, of your blood uh, in, in our veins. We feel it putting to death sin. We feel it putting to death pride. We feel it putting to death every other treasure and making our hearts whole and one for you. And so we pray this morning you would be glorified and that our hearts would be made more whole, that we would love you better and obey you better and be filled with even more pure joy. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Is God calling you to let go of a great treasure? Peter Waldo was a man who lived around the year 1170. He was a well-known merchant in the French city of Lyon. He had a wife, two daughters, and lots of property. But something happened. Some say that he witnessed a close friend die. Others say that he heard a beautiful spiritual song sung by a traveling minstrel. But whatever happened to him, Waldo became deeply troubled over the spiritual state of his soul and desperate to know the answer to one question, how can I be saved? He knew, he knew that he needed help to answer this question. He knew that he needed spiritual counsel. And I want you to imagine for a moment, if Peter Waldo came to your door, what counsel would you give him? If he asked you, what must I do to be saved, what would you tell him? Well, Peter goes to a priest who points him to Jesus' instructions to the rich young ruler in the Gospels where Jesus says, One thing you still lack. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. His advice to Peter, how to be saved, was to sell all he had, give the money to the poor, and follow Christ. What do you think about this? Was this good advice? Was this the kind of advice you would have given Peter? Did Peter really need to get rid of his possessions? Why did Jesus ask this of the rich young ruler? And are these words still for us today? Well, the topic for our talk this morning is treasure lost and treasure found. And our text is going to be Matthew 19, verses 16 to 26. So you can begin turning there. And here's the big idea for this morning. In the story of the rich young ruler, Jesus gives us a shocking answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus uses this story, the story of a man who almost had it all, to show us that only those who let go of it all will have God and all he gives. So let's begin by reading the story together in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 26. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? 
There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This is the word of the Lord. So first, let's begin by looking at the man who almost has it all. What kind of a person does God bless, friends? What kind of a person does God want on his team? Well, in this story, we're forced to ask that question because we see that this man has a successful life. We know that he's wealthy and he's already accomplished the American dream for most. We know that he has status and power. Luke describes him as a ruler, which in this case probably means he's a high-up lay leader in a synagogue. And this man is young. If you were reading the Jerusalem Post back in that day, he would easily make the top 30 under 30. This guy is young. This guy is moving forward. This guy is promising. He has a successful life. But he also has a moral life. If you knew him, you would have no doubt or no impression that he had gotten his wealth or status by evil or wicked means. In fact, uh, from every metric, he seems like a deeply moral and pious person. And not only is he successful and moral, he's also asking the right questions. He's a religious seeker. First, he asks Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? This man wants to know beyond a shadow of a doubt How can I belong to God? How can I be sure that when God's kingdom comes, I will be a part of it? This is the greatest question, isn't it? And unfortunately, most people don't take the time to ask this. They assume that the answer is going to be yes. But his question and Jesus' response show us that we should not assume the answer to this question. But second, he also asked Jesus, what do I still lack? This man is so together that he realizes that he doesn't have it all together. Sounds like the kind of person we might want to be friends with. Perhaps he has a sense of emptiness or inadequacy, an aching in his heart that he knows only God can fill. So what do we think so far? What's our assessment? It's hard not to admire him, right? And probably we're thinking something along the lines of what the disciples would be thinking if we don't know the rest of the story. Jesus! This guy looks like a pretty good candidate for a disciple. I mean, have you seen his resume? And uh, Jesus, have you looked in our purse lately? It's getting kind of low. I think this guy would be a real asset for your kingdom. 
Surely if anyone is in the kingdom of God, this man must be it. Yet we will see this is not what Jesus thinks. And how do you answer his question? What must I do to have eternal life? Now for many of you, I praise God that you've been around the Bible and church for many years, and you probably already have an answer in your mind. If most people asked us this question, what must I do to be saved? Our answer would probably be the same as the Philippian jailer got from Paul and Silas, wouldn't it? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's probably the first thing that comes to many of our minds. And that is a true answer, friends, and that is the right answer. And we affirm that salvation is by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. Absolutely. But this is not the answer that Jesus gives this young man. And before we jump to a quick answer, we need to look at Jesus' answer and understand why. You see, Jesus sees into this man's heart, and he sees that rather than a quick, easy answer, there are a number of assumptions, there are a number of roadblocks that are keeping him from seeing truth and reality the way it really is. And so Jesus, instead of giving him a quick and easy answer, skillfully begins to deconstruct and to remove the barriers in this man's heart. Sometimes we need someone with an expert eye to look at something for us. Let's use the example of a home inspector. Why do we go through the trouble of hiring a home inspector? If you're looking for a house, usually you know what you like. Usually you know what you want. And so when you find a house and it looks good to you and it seems to meet all your needs, why not just go through with the sale anyway? Well, besides for legal reasons, right? Uh, There's a very practical reason we want a home inspector, don't we? We know that something might look good, even perfect, on the outside. But if there's deep problems, if there's a problem with mold, if there's a problem in the structure, if there's a problem with the electric, not only could that end up costing us, it could end up killing us under the right circumstances. So Jesus here is the divine home inspector. He is going to brush aside the outward appearance and go straight to this man's heart and show us what is really there. So you see, Jesus again uses this example of a man who almost has it all to show us that only those who let go of all they have will have God and all that he gives. So the first thing Jesus calls us to let go of is our standard of goodness. Let go of our goodness because God is the standard of good. So probably one of the most puzzling things Jesus says is right here at the beginning of the story. The young man asks him, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus responds, Why do you ask me what is good? There is one who is good. And in fact, if we read the parallel stories in Mark and in Luke, the language is even stronger. The young man calls him good teacher. And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. So this is very unexpected, right? I bet this kind of put the young man back on his feet. This was not the answer he was expecting. And this is not the answer we expect if we're honest. If we've been around church, again, Jesus was perfectly good. Why is he seeming to deny his goodness? Jesus is God in the flesh. Why is he putting distance between himself and God? This can be very confusing. But we need to understand this story in context. Because you see, in Jesus' day, read through the Gospels, most people didn't understand that he was God. 
Most people certainly didn't understand that he was perfect. And even the disciples, this was a process. This took them time. They didn't get it all right away. And Jesus knows this about the young man. So rather than focusing on these things, Jesus is focusing on this one rich young ruler and how he's using the word good. That's his main problem. So Jesus hones in on his use of the word good. Because the first problem is the rich young man really doesn't understand what the word good means. The great linguist Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride once said this, You keep on using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And this is the case with the rich young ruler. Pastor pastor and author John MacArthur said this about the word good. If there is any one word in the world that they don't understand, it's that word, good. Stop anyone on the street and ask them, are you a good person? And what are they going to say? Of course I'm a good person. The world en masse throughout history has had a wrong definition of good. And the rich young ruler is no different. He is quick to give Jesus, who he thinks is just a teacher, the title good, which means he is probably quick to give himself the title good as well. And so how does Jesus correct this? Well, he points him to a new standard. No one is good but God alone. That is the true definition of goodness. And you see, friends, like the rich young ruler, if we have a sense of good, if we look at ourselves and we assign the word good, we need to let go of our sense of goodness. And we especially need to let go of our sense of goodness before God because bad comparisons can really give us a distorted view of reality. Let me give you an example. So if I compare myself to my two-year-old son, I'm a pretty amazing person. In fact, in his eyes, I'm sure sometimes I seem like a superhuman. I'm so very strong, I can win any of our wrestling matches with my two-year-old if I want. I'm amazingly wise. My vocabulary is much bigger than 50 words. I'm amazingly talented. I can whistle. I can make Play-Doh snakes. And I always know the right piece of his 10-piece puzzle that he can't figure out. But if I get my impressions from my abilities and who I am based on comparing myself to my son, I will have a very distorted view of myself. So in the same way, Jesus is saying, friend, you shouldn't be comparing yourself to other people. You shouldn't be comparing yourself to me. You should be comparing yourself to God. God is the standard of good. And so if you come to me thinking that your goodness is somehow going to earn you favor and eternal life, you have missed the point. No one is good but God alone, and Jesus makes this point of reminding him. And Jesus also points to the commandments, because God's commands serve as a very practical measuring tape for our goodness. And when the young man asks, okay, so you tell me to keep the commands, which one should I keep? Jesus' answer to him is essentially all of them. He gives him a short list from the Ten Commandments, which is a summary of the law, And then he gives him one of the two great commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, is Jesus being a legalist here? Is he he reversing what he just said? He just said no one is good, and then he said, if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. No, Jesus isn't being a legalist, because Jesus, on the one hand, realizes the commandments help show us how good we are, and on the other hand, the commandments show us um, if we are, if there really is good inside. Because you see, there's a warning here. 
You might say, I have eternal life. You might say, I'm on God's team. You might say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm religious, I'm saved, I'm born again, whatever those things mean. But if your life is not characterized by a desire to learn God's will and obey it, or an effort to keep his commands, this is probably a sign that eternal life is not yours. Your actions are speaking louder than your words, and we all know which ones we should usually listen to. So the obvious question that follows up is, how are you doing when you think about God's commands? Are you seeking out God's will in all things? Are you seeking to be obedient to God's commands? If you're not, you certainly don't follow the definition of good. And if you're not at all, you may need to question if you have eternal life in the first place. So reflecting on God's commands give us quickly a good perspective on goodness. Think about a needle with me for a moment. Imagine you bought a new sewing needle from the store. And look at that as close as you can with your naked eye. What will you see? It will look perfect. It will look bright. It will look shining. It will look spotless. But then take that needle and put it under a microscope, and what will you see? You see it will be pocked. You see it will be bent and misshapen. It will look horrible. And you'll you'll wonder to yourself how something that looks so good with your eye could look so terrible under a microscope. Well, what Jesus is doing is he is putting our goodness under the microscope of God's goodness and God's commands. And when we look through that microscope, we see that if we are honest with ourselves and if we allow God's word to speak to us, we need to let go of our standard of goodness. But we don't just need to let go of our standard of goodness. Here comes the hard part, friends. We need to let go of our treasure because our treasure is the thing that we really worship. So this man, even though Jesus has messed with his assumptions some, still feels like he measures up in some way. And we can tell this because his response to Jesus is, all these commandments I have kept since my youth, what do I still lack? So in an external way, he's still holding on to, I I think I've kept most of these. So now, Jesus strips away this last barrier for the man by giving him one command straight from God that he cannot keep. He must let go of his possessions. Jesus' command to him is startling, isn't it? If you would be perfect, sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Jesus says to have eternal life, he must give up everything and follow him. What a hard thing. This passage has troubled many people over the years, friends. There are people in church history that you can read about who it is troubled. And I'm going to be honest, for a long time, I didn't feel like I understood what Jesus meant here, and this troubled me too. How far, oh, and it still troubles me, even now that I feel like I maybe understand it better. How far does Jesus want us to go? Should we take this literally? It's the money question. Does Jesus demand that we give up all our money and possessions to follow him and be saved? And the shocking answer is yes, but maybe not in the way you're thinking. So let's unpack what Jesus really means. Does Jesus command all people for all time specifically to give up their material possessions, sell them, give the money to the poor, and become itinerant preachers? Well, if we look at the word of God, the clear answer to that seems to be no. God does call some people to give up their possessions. He called the rich man to. 
He might call others to. He might call one of us to. God does call people to itinerant ministry, but he does not call all people to this. Let me quickly give you some biblical reasons why. So we see that this command is specifically given to this man. It's not a general command. We have other biblical examples. Zacchaeus gives up half of what he owns, and he is commended for this. Barnabas sells a field and gives the money to the church, and he is commended for this. And we have biblical commands in places like 1 Timothy 6, where Paul gives instructions, you who are wealthy in the church, this is how you should live. And I could give you more examples, friends. So it's clear from the whole biblical witness of Scripture that this is not a specific command for everybody. However, please don't miss the point. You are not off the hook. I am not off the hook. While Jesus doesn't command every person specifically to get rid of their possessions, Jesus commands every person to give up something that most of us will find harder to do. We must let go of our greatest treasure. This is Jesus' command. Why does Jesus ask him to give up his possessions? Well, he gives us a hint in what he says in verse 21. He says, if you would be perfect. Now, this word perfect is confusing to us because in English we think, oh, perfectly perfect in every way, like some kind of Mary Poppins, right? Perfect, morally flawless, but this is not what the word in Greek often means, and it's translated differently elsewhere. Usually this word comes with a sense of completeness, that you would be complete or that you would be mature. And what Jesus is saying is this young man is like a puzzle with a big piece missing in the middle. And he's saying, yes, you understand. Yes, you're on your way, but you are missing something. One thing you do lack, and this is what you are missing. Jesus knows that his heart is not whole. And Jesus knows that specifically for him, his wealth and possessions are his real treasure. This man does not just have possessions, he loves them. His possessions are his primary source of comfort and security and meaning and joy in his life. He worships his possessions. His possessions are his idol. And how do you know that someone is addicted to something? Well, there are probably a number of signs we could point to, right? But one sign we can point to for an addiction is when someone cannot give something up. When you have finally lost self-control, when you have finally lost the ability to determine your own destiny in this matter. And what does the rich young man show us? This story proves that this is where he is. Because when Jesus tells him, all right, you want one thing, you want one good thing you need to do, this is what I am asking you to do, what happens? He turns and leaves and walks away sorrowful because he knows his possessions are too great a treasure for him to give up, even if that means giving up on God himself. Pastor and author John Piper explains it really helpfully, so let me read the, the, the story and the things that he says to help us get this. These three demands to... Go, to sell, and to come and follow me can be summed up like this. Your attachment to your possessions needs to be replaced by an attachment to me. It is, it is as though the man stood there with his hands full of money. And Jesus said, you lack one thing. Reach out and take my hands. To do this, the man must open his fingers and let the money fall. 
The one thing he needs is not what falls out of his hands, but what he takes into his hands. The poor will always be the beneficiaries when this transaction happens. That's why Jesus mentions the poor. But the main point is what is happening between this man and Jesus. You lack one thing. You lack me. Stop treasuring money and start treasuring me. Only by your attachment to me will you inherit eternal life. Enter the kingdom. Be justified. If you would be perfect, if you would be whole, which is the only way into the kingdom of God, follow me. Be connected to me. Depend on all that I am for you. So now we understand what Jesus is doing. And so the next question we have to ask, friends, is what is your treasure? And here's the warning to us. Here is where the command comes to us, friends. Here's the big point of this passage. This is where God's word is speaking to you. We will never have and hold on to Jesus by faith And we will never enter his kingdom unless we are first willing to let go of the other things we treasure and worship above God himself. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot have two lords of your life. God can't be the one more thing that you add to the bottom of a highly successful life list and check off. God must be the list. God must be everything. And only those who love God enough to give up every other thing and make him his king will have eternal life. This is what saving faith does. This is what saving faith means. And this man didn't have it. Friends, what is your treasure? What is my treasure? What is the real thing you worship? Even maybe sitting here Sunday morning. What is the goal that defines your life? What do you dream about for the future? What are you most anxious about? What do you get most angry about when it's threatened? What do you devote yourself and your time to? That may be the thing you worship. That may be your idol. That may be your God. So let me ask you some questions. Is there a sin in your life that you know you cannot keep if you were to truly follow God and Jesus? Is that your treasure? Is there a relationship you know you would have to give up or change if God was Lord of your life? Is there a goal you have devoted yourself to that has taken the place of God? Are your possessions and all the blessings you have, like this rich young man, really your real God and treasure? And friends, don't miss the point. The problem is not the thing you're holding on to. The thing is probably good in and of itself. The problem is that that thing has taken the place of God in your life, and Jesus loves us, and Jesus looks at us, and he tells us one thing you lack, one thing you need. You see your treasure. You need to be willing to give that up. You need to be willing to not get it. And if it is opposed to my will, if it controls your life, if it keeps you from loving and serving and worshiping me, then I will ask you to let it go. Because unless you let it go, you will never hold on to me. What is the first and greatest commandment, friends? What is the summary of the whole law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. 
Friends, we cannot hold on to more than one great treasure in this life. Hurricane Katrina, back in 2005, was one of the most devastating hurricanes we've ever had in the United States. According to records, at least 1,833 people died in the hurricane, and at least $108 billion in damages was paid out. It's hard to get the images of people standing on rooftops trying to flag down helicopters while the water is raising to the very crest of their house out of your mind once you've seen them. Imagine with me a helicopter descends to pick up a struggling person who needs to be rescued. And this person knows they need to be rescued. And they let down the ladder. And the person has one hand gripping the ladder and one hand gripping their house. And they're unwilling to let go of their home, their treasure. This doesn't make any sense, does it? The people from the helicopter are going to call down. You can't have both. The only way to be saved is to let go and to grab on to the ladder. You cannot be rescued unless you let go of all that you have and hold on to us. We will get you out. We will save your life. But you must let go. And friends, like this person, often we as people fool ourselves into thinking that we can hold on to our real treasure in life with one hand and hold on to God with the other. But the real truth is that we cannot have both. And if we hold on to both, in the end we will have neither. We can hold on to our earthly treasure and die with it. Or we can hold on to our heavenly treasure, which leads to life. To have one, you must let the other go. So Jesus has taught us that we must let go of our goodness. Your goodness is not good enough. Jesus shows us that we must let go of our treasure because that may be our real God. And last, we will see, and here's the good news, friends, we must let go of our ability. We must hold on to Christ. So how are you doing right now? Where does this leave us? Well, I think if we're honest, this leaves most of us where it leaves the rich young man and the disciples. It leaves us sorrowful and astonished. The rich young man is sorrowful because he sees his sinful heart for what it is, and he knows he does not have the power to obey it. The disciples are shocked and astonished. After the man leaves, Jesus tells them in verses 23 and 24, Truly, I tell you, Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus realizes it is very difficult for someone with great treasure to let it go and enter God's kingdom. And Jesus uses a powerful illustration. There's an urban legend about this story that in the ancient times there used to be big gates and there were smaller gates in the big gates and at night they would open them and you couldn't get a camel through the small gate unless you took off its bags and you made it kneel. That's actually probably not true. Jesus is doing something very simple here. He's making a very simple point. He takes the biggest animal in Israel, a camel, and he takes the smallest hole most people could think of, a needle. And he says, it is easier for someone to let go of a great treasure than it is uh, just as easy than it is for take that camel and stuff it through the eye of a needle. The reason he's saying that is it is impossible. There's no way this can happen. 
it seems that the greater the treasure we hold on to, the harder it is for us to let go. So the natural question the disciples ask is, Lord, who then can be saved? If this man can't do it, what about anyone else? But Jesus gives us an incredible word of hope. He turns to his disciples and tells them, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The answer is not in you and me. The answer is not in even letting go. The answer is in the power of God and in the one we hold on to, Jesus. You see, friends, there is another rich young man we must consider. One who had far more wealth than the rich young ruler. One who was called to give up far more. Let me read you the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 2. Have this same mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to hold on to. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see, friends, Jesus was the man who really had it all. Jesus lived in perfect splendor, wealth, and joy in the presence of his Father. Jesus had the perfect status. He reigns and rules over all creation. Jesus had the perfect goodness that God alone has. Jesus perfectly obeyed all of God's commandments. Jesus completely and perfectly loved and treasured God, his Father, and his relationship with him above all else. And yet Jesus was the one who gave it all up. He let it all go. He opened his hands. Why? Why did he give it all up? Why did he do this? What could he possibly gain from losing everything? He gave it all up so that we could have God and all that he gives. He did this so that those hands could be nailed to a cross for you and for me. He did this so that he could take hold of us. He did what was impossible for us to do, and he did it for us. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Amen. You see, friends, you will never be able to give up the treasure you hold on to unless there is something of greater value to take its place. Jesus is the greatest treasure. Look on Jesus. In Jesus, you find the grace to let go of your idols. In Jesus, you find the love that conquers your fears. In Jesus, you find the master who is worthy of losing everything for. It is like a man who found a great treasure buried in the field. And what does he do? He takes his few paltry possessions, he sells it, he takes the money, he buys the field, and then he has the treasure. The way to be saved is to let go of our false treasures, and the only way to let go of our false treasures is to hold on to the one greatest treasure, Christ and all that God has done through him to us. Is he not worth trusting Is he not worth holding on to? So as we close, in the story of the rich young ruler, 
Jesus uses the story of a man who almost had it all to show us that only those who let go of all they have, their goodness, their treasure, and their ability to please God are those who can open their hands and receive Christ and the gift of eternal life. Friends, this story is a hard truth for us, isn't it? This is like going to a difficult doctor's appointment. And at that doctor's appointment, we receive bad news. Jesus, like the good physician, looks inside us and tells us what the problem is. The problem is serious. There is a cancer. The cancer is deadly, and only by removing it can we hope to be saved. The problem, though, is getting rid of the cancer comes at a cost. The surgery will take away something that we deeply value. Some may hear this and decide the cost is too great. I would rather keep my cancer if it means I can keep everything else I have. They would rather live sick and maybe even die with cancer than suffer the loss. But the truth is, in the end, the cancer will destroy them, and in the end, they will lose everything. But those who know the physician, those who trust his words, those who look at his perfect track record, those who look into his face and see him for who he is, know that in his arms they are safe, and that giving themselves to him will cost something and will hurt, but will lead to life, joy, peace, and wholeness. So how will you leave today, friends? Do not neglect the word of God to you. Some of you, maybe like the rich young ruler who heard this, will leave today sorrowful, knowing that Jesus has destroyed your sense of goodness, knowing that Jesus has destroyed and exposed your idols and the worth they really have. Do not harden your hearts. Let go of your idols today and receive Jesus Christ as your greatest treasure by faith. Yes, you will have to let some things go, but with God, all things are truly possible. Dear believer, maybe you've already held on to Christ in faith. He is Lord of your life, and in many ways you seek to make him your greatest treasure. But friends, the battle with idols does not end with the first victory. What things in life have the greatest grip on you today and are threatening to take that throne in your life? Where is the Spirit warning you? Where is God calling you to repent? Is he calling you to give up something for the sake of his kingdom? Seek him in prayer. Seek the godly counsel of others. Don't be lulled into the lies that your past goodness and obedience are enough. The call to let go is not a one-time call. The call to follow is not a one-time call. The call to faith is not a one-time call, and saving faith is one that perseveres to the end. Above all, when you fear or feel weak, look to Christ, look to his cross, rest in his love, hope in his coming kingdom. So let's finish with the story of Peter Waldo. Not all calls to give up your treasure end like that of the rich young ruler. I don't know what advice Jesus would have given Peter if he had spoken to him that day. But we know from history that Jesus' words to the rich young ruler pierced Peter's heart. He realized that he did serve money and not God, and that money was his real God. And he did the exact opposite of what the rich young ruler did. Rather than walking away from Jesus, he decided he was willing to give up everything and walk towards him. 
He repented. He made adequate provision for his family. And then he sold his wealth, gave the money to the poor, and dedicated his life to following the Lord. And he himself became an itinerant preacher in the streets of Lyon. From his preaching, Waldo started a movement, eventually come to be known as the Waldensians. Now, this movement was far from perfect, but it did lead many to faith. And it did speak out against the corrupting influence of wealth in the church. And it did preach many doctrines that years later would be revived in the Reformation. What is clear is that Peter Waldo had found a great treasure. A treasure worth giving up all his other treasures to follow. Peter gave up his treasure to hold on to Christ. And for him, it changed everything. With God, all things are possible. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love your word. And God, though our, though our sinful flesh cringes and hates being exposed, yet we rejoice. We rejoice in the light and we come to it. Father, we know that, that darkness pulls away from the light, as your word says. Yet those who seek truth, those who seek you, step into the light. For in the light they find wholeness and goodness and healing and hope. You are our light, Jesus. You are the treasure worth giving up everything for. And Lord, you gave up far more than we could ever give up just so that we, you could have us. So deep is your love. So let that love spur us forward. Let that love spur us forward to be more sanctified and holy as your people. Let that love today call people out of darkness and into your kingdom. We ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus, our greatest treasure. Amen.